and welcome to 10 Very Big Books, a Malzahn read-through podcast. My name is Peter Bond, and with me today is Iskar Jarek. Hey, Pete. How you doing, buddy? Feeling good. I'm glad to be back. This is a fun book, and I can't wait to, to get into it. They've all been fun, but uh, they seem like they're getting funner and funner. Yeah, so that's uh, me and Iskar here have been doing our little spin-off Esselmont miniseries. So here we are talking about Stone Wielder, uh, and... Uh, Stoked to get into it. This is the third book in the novels of the Malzahn Empire, and it's yep. set within the Corelli Fist kind of subcontinent in and around the Stormwall and all this stuff. We'll get into it. I'm I'm eager to hear what you thought of the book, Iskar. For me, I really bounced off this book hard the first time I read it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because coming after Return of the Crimson Guard, I read the first three Elsamont books integrated into the main series when I'm on my first read through. Right. Right. So I read Return of the Crimson Guard after Reaper's Gale. And I was like, oh my gosh, all this Lysian stuff, all this, you know, it's so integrated into what I thought the main story was. There are all yeah. these characters I know and ditto with Night and Knives, you know? And then so I read this book in right after Toll the Hounds before book nine. And I think I was really disappointed and frustrated that it was not as integrated into like what I was imagining the main plot to be. And I was like, well, why did I just stop my this? Why did I just read 600 random pages about this other stuff? Do you mean? Yeah, totally. And you're you're looking for the crossover. I was looking for the crossover and I was very frustrated and very let down. And I I think I kind of didn't like the book for that reason. You know, I think I had active disdain. Uh, Obviously, that's kind of just a matter of expectations, right? Sure. And I think it was actually a huge relief going into this book to be able to reapproach it, knowing that it's like, well, the point of this is not like, it's not just about the crossover. You know, there is some crossover. There is an element. I was talking with a guy, we'll get to his comments later about you know the crippled god part of it all Mm -hmm. but really this book is a kind of separate own thing you know yeah yeah we talked last time about Esselmont kind of stepping out stretching and writing a bigger story in Return of the Crimson Guard but here I think even more so I mean we are like fully away and almost exclusively dealing with characters Esselmont created in this realm that's been pretty much untouched yeah you know we're kind of off on our own planet that Esselmont wrote totally I'm excited to get into this book. What did you think of it returning to this time? And did you have that kind of bounce off I talked about on my first read through? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, this was the first book where I realized that it wasn't a companion series. You know what I mean? <laughs> where, you know, yeah, yeah. Because I think that was kind of how I read the first two books because I didn't integrate. You know what I mean? I, I went through the Book of the Fallen and then I found out after the fact that there was this, you know, author shared world whole you know deal and so i read night of knives and i was like okay this is like the prequel kind of deal right and then i read mm-hmm. return of the crimson guard which was like this is kind of like adjacent you know companion story and this one like you said was this is its own uh beast i even you know you have to bust out the maps because you're like what is fist what is coral right like you definitely need the maps because i have no sense of the geography of this place you know totally and like even like going back on a on a reread, I was like, man, I really wanted to have that map there too. Cause it's like a big part of it. And, and it's also flipped, right? Because he writes it backwards. So like what's like, what was East and West for gray main was the opposite for. And so it's like, <laughs> but, but no, I, I loved it too, because it kind of does stand on its own. It is its own thing. And it was just entertaining on its own, regardless of, and especially that first time I didn't get a lot of the crossover going back now. And I, I kind of was reading for that. I was like, so where's the crossover? It's like one of these people, and I guess you do get that at the end of this book, but, you know, I was looking for more of like who are, you know, these are obviously people under aliases and it's going to end up being so-and-so's, but, you know, and uh, no, it was, it was just its own, its own deal. But going back through and just being able to relax and kind of know that I was able to really just enjoy it because there's a lot of action and I, there's actually a surprising amount for for what it appears to not have a lot of crossover value at first glance i think on the reread you get more of the tie-in with the the main story especially on the the crippled god side so so i had this conversation because i i wrote up a little thing on reddit to get some some questions mm-hmm. that we'll talk about later and i had that same thing i think you know of course you know the lady is this you know blah 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 yeah. crippled god blah 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 
But I just think, especially compared to how Return of the Crimson Guard or Night of Knives is integrated with the right. series, it's it's a pretty different thing, you know? Yeah, definitely. I think that, the, you know, the only the only uh, kind of major piece, because it's not even that explicit. I've had people who read Stonewielder in the Discord who didn't even totally connect the dots on the crippled god chunks, like chaining, you know, uh, aspect to the lady or or whatever. But yeah, not, that like is actually the kind of huge spoiler really for the, the you know, for the crippled god endgame, right? Because they go after the pieces and free them or whatever. And that's the, the kind of deal. And so like, you know, it's a small piece of this book and a small piece of the crossover, but it's the pretty, you know, it's kind of the, the biggest piece. No, I think you're right. And I think that's why some people put it in that reading order. So it kind of just you get that scent of what's going on mm-hmm. with the going into the final two books. Yeah. But I feel, which is kind of a separate subject, but we kind of dipped into it, but I sometimes feel so strongly that maybe Return of the Crimson Guard should be read with the main series, Damien. Yeah. Just because of the Lacine half of it. However, I, like, that is as far as I would go. I would never, like, this book certainly, in my mind, does not need to be read at all in the main series. Yeah. It stands on its own totally. And, and, you know, the only thing, the only continuity really is, is with mostly Return of the Crimson Guard, you know? Absolutely. Anyway, so let's get to the book in total. We're kind of, we're kind of dancing around it. I'll tell you this, you know, I didn't, I didn't love the book, but I Mm -hmm. think I wasn't as like actively riled up about it because of this change in expectation, you know? Yeah. There's characters like more than others. And, you know, I really loved Ivanar's story in this. Mm-hmm. Some of the military stuff kind of left me in the cold. I love doing the Kiska and Leoman stuff. We'll talk all <laughs> about that. I liked kind of getting to the end of Greymane's st- story. I like Kyle in this book. They kind of mm-hmm. have a weird role reversal thing. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, He's grown. Yeah, it's it's a change in dynamic from when you meet them in Return of the Crimson Guard. Right. Yeah, and they're they've aged, so it's it's kind of cool. They're a little bit more mature, but they're not totally mature either. Yeah, you kind of touch in with them almost at like a different phase in life, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, they're now like in their 20s or whatever and they're past their 18 whatever phase and Yeah, and like Greymane, I think when he's introduced in Return of the Crimson Guard, it's like, "Here's Greymane. It's like a big deal," you know? Yeah. yeah. And then and he's kind of mysterious and you don't really see him much. He's still a big deal in this book, but clearly he is more tired and he's kind of on this like death quest. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, he's a broken character at this point. I mean, he's pretty jacked up. You know, he was like pretty much giving up back at his uh, little dueling school or whatever it is where you start out with them. Yeah. Do you think that change in those characters? How do you feel about it? It's uh, it's interesting. I, I I like the gray man stuff because to me, you you humanize this mythological character kind of because especially coming from the the book of the fall, and you know you don't have a lot of gray man references, and they are just like kind of legendary references more or less, and so. I, I always like the peeling back. I think that's like a theme that I, he's had through all these books, you know, is it's like you you look at these people and they're, you know, yes, they still have that kind of level of badassness and whatever, but they're also pretty jacked up and have all these issues <laughs> type people. And um, I like the whole history and the connecting of the dots with a lot of the old folks, the old guard that he was with during the first invasion and stuff like that. And just kind of seeing like, man, it, you know, it contextualizes a lot of the return of the Crimson Guard stuff too. Right. And his, uh, which, which I think is cool to get that, that backstory. And you find out why you see this kind of like husk of a man who's like hollowed out from his, his former self. And then he's just got this like kind of resign mentality on the Kyle and Kiska side. I like it. Cause I, I've, I've always liked them and I think they've more matured. I do think, you know, Kyle, I guess he got the benefit of training with Greymane the whole time, but he did uh, he did step up in a pretty G'd up way uh, in terms of power levels between Return of the Crimson Garden here. Oh, it's totally different. And that moment when he's like uh, when Greyman like promotes him is like kind of comes out of nowhere. And, and like he is kind of out of his depth in that way, but he does kind of rise to the occasion. And he, and he has that like group breeding, you know what I mean? Because he comes from like that uh, stalker coots kind of like, you know, he grew up on that same type of area and whatever. And yeah, he, he could run like 20 miles and whatever in, in the return of the game. So he wasn't like a pushover by any means, but he's definitely a lot more G'd up. 
Definitely. To touch on what you're saying, I do think in this we see more how much the history of these past Balzian campaigns and him in the army weighs on Greymane, especially in regard to his relationship to Rillish mm-hmm. and just the the like the greater military apparatus, you know, and what's his role in it? What's his role in relationship to the command? What's his role in relationship to the soldiers? And it's changed over the years and him taking over and becoming fist here. Like, what does that mean for Greymane is like a question he clearly grapples with within the book. Yeah, definitely. You know, he's struggling to, you know, I, I think he's trying to any any kind of gets there in the in the kind of end game that he was like, there was like a destiny element to it, or there was like this kind of preordained path that he was on and was resisting. And that that's like the, you know, reason it's kind of like I'm reading through Memories of Ice right now. And Ganos, like when he becomes the master of the deck, he's resisting and it's creating this infection and it's making him even worse. And that's like, meta, you know, symbolically happening to to Greymane throughout his his life and i also like that it's like you know in some ways he was the villain you know or the betrayer or whatever who kind of gets humanized in a way although he's still kind of a you know a dick to everyone but um you know Rillish is the opposite right because he was like the hero who like did the morally right thing by siding with the wiccans and going against his own to do the quote-unquote right thing and then you see like yeah he kind of threw gray Mane under the bus and he regrets it and feels bad for it but man did he have to pay for that it's kind of interesting that gray Mane is introduced as like the betrayer right and and then like, but like you clearly see he's not like the worst person, but I don't really think the book ever gets to a position where it's like uncomplicated about Greymane. It's still, I think like you're just kind of this dude and I don't know, I don't view him unambiguously as a great dude. Do you yeah, know what I mean? hundred percent. And I think that's interesting. Totally. And even at the end, right, where he like has his big, right before his big redemption moment and all that, they were still like, dude, we can't just like storm the, they're already set up there, right? And he's like, nah, just go. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he's like every all these boats. He's like just storm that beach. They're all right there. And if it wouldn't have been for the ruse, high mage, then they would have been done for. But he's like, yeah, this is what it's got to be. Just go for it. And there's just like total carnage. So it's like you know he's not a he's not an angel by any means. No, he is not. What's uh so what what I mentioned a few that I stand out to me what are some what are, what are some of your characters you really liked in this book i'm a sucker for the the military like the band of brothers aspect so like i was super down for sooth and or seth or whatever you know i i like that story because he's kind of like the kyle you know sure of of the return of the crimson guard book who's kind of like the noob who comes in and he has to like get schooled in the ways of the world but i like the whole squad dynamic with like him and carrie and the you know jealousy angle with the bargast uh, scout that he has to go out with when him and Kyle go out and just yeah. the Wes who's like the guy who sleeps all the time so I I just like that whole squad dynamic stuff and he he becomes like a much more uh, well-rounded character and he's you know he's still a to- that dude is a badass because he goes up against those storm guard and it's totally awesome um but he he becomes more like kind of wise and reserved and and against just all-out battle and he's definitely not in the kind of tape measure pissing contest that he was in at the beginning so i i like that one that's that's interesting i think it's i, I agree i mean i have no particular sooth beef yeah um but i think for me it's i don't know Sometimes a band of brother stuff is not my bag, you know, mm-hmm. as you put it. But I think it was well done. And I do like it's important to have that point of view, you know, because if it's only the commanders, I do think there's a loss, you know, yeah. especially in this kind of new setting like this. Right. Totally. Um, I think for me, Ivanar is like was like the light and soul for me of characters in this book, really. I mean, I love the Kiska stuff and we'll talk about it, Mm -hmm. but out of new characters that are introduced in this book, every time we are talking about Ivanar and the army of reform and what they were doing and what was happening to them, and I found myself kind of perk up and I was so... I don't know. I just something about that character and is like sometimes the hesitancy characters who are hesitant yes. to do the thing. The you know? reluctant hero. Yeah. Yeah. The reluctant hero. Sometimes I'm just like, I, you know, you, you're like, get over it. I need like, let's get the story going. Do you mean, please continue the story? Yeah. But there was something about Ivanar that makes it it's like it's not reluctant for no reason. It feel it feels more honest with him and it feels like it like is about this philosophical thing. And it's not just like, I don't know. 
an old guy being tired of being in the game or something. Right. I don't know. There's just, it struck me as different. And I liked his relationship to the priestess. And the, the book is, I don't know, I don't like, is a kind of an untouched thing in our conversations, but I feel like this book's very heavily laden with like religious tones and religious yeah. imagery. And oh, like, it's like, it's very holy. There's lots of talk about like, what does it mean to be a holy person? What yeah. does it mean to be in a church? Well, you know, I totally. think it's an important through line in this book. Absolutely. And like, it's funny cause I'm, I'm watching that, uh, raised by wolves show on, I think it's on Netflix or something, but you know, and that deals with faith too. And it's a huge piece. And I love the whole, you, well, Hey, I like the, Ivan R thing. And I think you're right because it's not really like a philosophical thing necessarily for Ivan R. Right. I think it's much more born of like pragmatism and realizing that like, look, we're just like killing each other um, and I'm good at it, but it's like, you know, pointlessness, the futility yeah. aspect of it. So it's not just like that. So a soapbox kind of a thing. You know what I mean? It's not, it's like, it's a philosophical thing in the way it's like a wisdom thing. Right. I mean, it's like guys yeah, it's more like a hard one kind of wisdom than, than a philosophy yeah it's not like he has a difference of opinion like his difference of opinion is is of a different kind do you know what i mean right i love that and it speaks to you know and i love the as the aspect of it being about kind of acknowledging these other you know deities or just the uncertainty you know out there and just the possibilities and and that kind of stuff and i think it's kind of mirrored in both the storm wall what's his name heim and and he also heim rule heim rules love well one of the best one of my favorite parts keep going yeah so and i love that too and i think it's mirrored by like bakun too because they or you know the assessor guy who who love the bakun stuff so totally good. and they're both kind of like peeling away of it you know one's kind of well they're both unwilling really and and you know what i mean just the kind of whole uh, false dichotomy or just you know the whole shenanigans of of it being the way that it is and just having that strict kind of like monotheistic thing borne down on people and just like basically having to do that at gunpoint and so I liked how the point of it was it was like dude these things you know we don't know and there's all these gods out there and there's other gods we don't even know <laughs> you know what I mean and just kind of accepting that piece of it I love that and then I loved seeing that in the other storylines too. Quick thing about the Bakun thing I love is I love how like when you go to the assessor and it's just like kind of a tone shift and you like I guess for me when you open up the Malzian book and it's like you're around a bunch of soldiers and they're like giving each other shit or something it's yeah. like this is a familiar scene you know this is in a ton of Malzian books it's in a lot of different ways you know a lot of different soldiers you know but then when all of a sudden we're like investigating murder and we're doing murder mystery yeah. at the beginning of the book it's like such an interesting tone shift and I love when the book kind of swerves into almost a different genre type or like those different elements of the story just just always appreciate it. I love that, too. And I, you know, the thing I love about the Bakun thing, too, is because, like, I feel like he, you know, it's a hopeful storyline for me, because, like, if you look at where he's at by the end, he's much more cynical, even. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, he's definitely. Like, he's become a jaded when he's sitting in that case at the end. And he's like, oh, my gosh. And he's like having to adjudicate these stupid, petty um, noble disputes or whatever. But, like, I know people like the assessor, you know what I mean? Like, super smart, pass any test and crush and dominate, you know what I mean? But when it just came to, and I think, I forget the um, Carrion L, the general guy or the Baron at the end who was the captain, mm. um, you know, is always like making fun of him because it's like, you, no matter how smart he is, you know what I mean? It's like, you can't just like connect the dots on these basic motivations because he's so smart and he's so pure and he's so by the book and all that. And then like, you know, he, he ultimately is able to kind of round himself out there after a lot of trials and tribulations. But it's like, we need a lot more Bakun in society, right? Who are like, you know, we need the smart people, definitely, but we need them, um, you know, we need them to kind of do the the small stuff too. Um, to touch back on the religious part of this book, you know, I think something I really appreciated about it, and I, I'm not here to talk about like my religious life, but right. I find you know this the 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 10 very big books you know you know there's religious characters within it right yeah. but i would say largely the books are pretty cynical about religion i feel mm -hmm. um and are pretty mm, I mean, there it's kind. There's a bit of there's a thorough misanthropy. Thorough, I don't know. I would. It's a whole statement, but I wouldn't say the book's super. There's not a lot of characters who have faith, and that's simply a part of their lives, you know. Yeah. And I think something I really liked about this book 
is that faith is just a thing within it and it is examined from different angles but it's not just like oh there's this church and like organized religions shitty you know right yeah which is fine and all and i'm not even disagreeing with any of that but i that type of commentary just it seems sometimes it doesn't go as deep as i want it to be and i just enjoyed being in a place and sitting with faith in a different way so I really appreciated that part of the book and just thinking about what it means to believe, you know, and have belief be a part of your society. Totally. And and the cool thing for me was it wasn't really a, you know, judgment on like Heim or anything like that. Like he was, you know, kind of a G and we respected him and looked at his leadership skills and his and even like the way that he got Quint or whatever kind of to be like, man, you know, after questioning and he's like, dude, this dude has a quality. You know what I mean? It was just more about like, hey, here's what life proceeds like with, you know, with people who are super fanatically, um, you know, where that's just like a function of their their person. It wasn't like, you know, should they do it or shouldn't they do it or a commentary about it? It was just like, okay, that's like a kind of taken as a given. Now, here's how this dude then proceeds through his life and how he interpreted all those, you know, pieces of information and the deals that he made and stuff was all like, you know, predicated on on that stuff. So for me, it was all all about just the dynamics of the dude's life, having that be just like the kind of starting point of of that person's character. I agree. I think it's just more well realized around the lady and the other characters in the book, as opposed to sometimes I think in, in the, the main series and in other books, like the people who are priests or cleric or these things, it's like a character creation option. Do you mean it's just mm. like, oh, and they do divine magic. Do you I mean that's how it feels to me and yeah. not like we're talking about someone who is religious and has faith, you know? Right. Yeah. And I don't know enough about, you know, Cam or what is his kind of philosophy is and, and stuff like that. But I, I think it's like kind of, in, again, encouraging in the same way that like the Bakun stuff is because, you know, I'm not super religious like that. And, um, you know, we're at this point in society where I think we're trying to come together more and stuff like that. And I think like, you know, that that dude was like a good dude. And and, you know, there I appreciated being able to find like the humanity and these like you know, what's if you take a step back, these were like crazy religious zealots and stuff, you know what I mean? To the point of like straight up killing and forsaking pretty much everything else to wage eternal war and stuff. But like also like skilled, smart, good dudes like, you know, too. So I I appreciated that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even trying to cast a judgment on it. I just think it's like this is a more well-realized interpretation is all I feel, you know? Yeah, no, I was um, I was into it. And I love how the Bakun stuff ends as well, because whenever we just get into like the boring day to day of the world, I always kind of get a glee out of it, you know? Totally. And that's kind of like the um, back to normal kind of thing that I feel like happens in a lot of the Malazan books. You know, we talked about it in a a, a, a Toll the Hounds thing, too, is that I think like the last thing that happens was like then they get up and go eat breakfast after all this crazy heavy stuff happens. And so, yeah, I love that, too. And then he's like sitting there like adjudicating these stupid petty cases and like you can picture him like rolling his eyes and like filing the papers and going yes let's hear this next stupid little thing that you're gonna try and scheme to enrich yourself um so so it's like the kind of it's the morning sunrise scene where with they they kind of go back to normal and get on with life and that's kind of uh, a, a common feature it seems like i know exactly what you mean kind of putting a button on the whole thing so uh, I want to, uh, what's something you didn't like about the book, Escar? You know, I thought it was a little bit sad how the whole Greymane and Kyle was like a little bit anticlimactic. Hey, you know, it was a little bit, they obviously a lot of time has passed between the end of Return of the Crimson Guard and and when we pick up with Stonewheeler, it's been a couple years, but that friendship is a lot tighter, you know, for him to come and be adjunct and to, you know, just kind of, I mean, because if you go back, we get a lot of internal monologue in Return of the Crimson Guard of Kyle and he 
he's trepidatious. He's definitely not, you know, I'll beat anybody's ass kind of like overconfidence and stuff. And like he has, again, leveled up in terms of power. The sword helps for sure. And, you know, I think you can kind of justify it if you want to be on board for the books, which I totally am. And I excuse it because it's like, you know, he was best friends with Greyman. And so he's getting all this like free training on how to be totally G'd up with that sword in the in the first place. But, you know, it is a a, a huge leap and he just storms those priests who are um, desiccating people just like by waving their hand and stuff. And that that yeah, I mean, he he gets pretty OP in a way. And, and that kind of come the friendship kind of comes uh, a little bit sudden just from where we left off and also his skills. I agree. It's like we kind of talked about at the beginning. It's a change in the characters, you know, and and of course you're coming back to characters, you know, so part of you wants them to be familiar, you know, but I, I agree. He is not like the, oh, shucks, I just saw Crimson Guard (laughs) get killed. Oh, no, I'm in the bushes. You know, like, it's a different vibe. Totally. And, like, even especially from the other POVs, like, Sooth and all he, I mean, he's almost, like, revered status by this point in time. And especially after this going forward, you know, it's like he's going to have some serious uh, street creds out there for sure. And for the most part, he's been kind of chilling in a bar (laughs) for the last couple years. For me... Well, here's a question. How, what do you think of this whole setting? Coral, Stormwall, Fist, this whole area is kind of talked about in the main series, in, in the main 10, but not really allu- is more of alluded to, right? Especially with some of the other stuff in right. Return of the Crimson Guard. Yeah. So what did you make of coming to this subcontinent and just this setting that we don't really see in Erickson's writing? Yeah, I I loved it. And I I wish we could have seen it fleshed out a little bit more. You know, for me, I I think it was cool seeing how there's this like native tribe element that can fly under the radar even in some ways. And that was like kind of the shave knuckle this time was like being able to have those native tribes that were able to uh, Gemmel, I think is his name was who, who yeah. could like access all the Warrens and like the kind of Toblakai bloodline element to, to everything. But uh, you know, I, I wanted to, I'm a sucker for storm riders too, which is the other, you know, huge part of this book that, that I really love and want to see fleshed out. But that, that is, uh, I loved the content. I loved all the crazy dynamics. And I feel like, again, this was he he stands on his own because he introduced all this new stuff. But um, I also really want more of it and just hope he writes more books here. Yeah, I think it's interesting. We should get we got to get to the Stormrider soon. When I first read the book, I was like, man, I don't care about this place. Mm. Why are we here? You know, like cool Stormriders exist. Yeah. I don't care about this island and I don't care that they're like the only reason I guess I care about them is because I guess I care about Stormriders, you know? Right. So I think definitely the first time I read it and coming back to it, there's this like a general skepticism that I was like, man, I don't really want to be here. This place is not that interesting to me. Yeah. Um, I especially felt that at the beginning of the book. However, I think by the end of the book, I felt felt more one over to the, I think I care more about this general setting than most of yes. the characters within it. Do you know what I mean? Totally. I, f- I find it to be a very compelling place to be more so than I think I particularly love some of the people in it. Although I care a bit about yeah, some of the characters. I like it because I think it's, you know, well developed in terms of like, uh, you know, advanced civilization compared to other continents. You know, it's like they had a pretty like dialed in, you know, legal system and judicial system. And like they had a whole functioning criminal underworld <laughs> that, you know, that was kind of cool. And they're kind of like the underdogs who have just been constantly, you know, getting screwed over. And actually, the other cool thing that I like about this, which I only picked up on this time through was which I don't know correct me if I'm wrong but I think in like the prologue and stuff with the first guy who discovers the chunks or whatever of the lady when the sure um, yeah that that I think those were like Jakuruku like um, expeditioners you know what I mean like those are like the conquistadors of like I think Kalor's old empire and so that was like the one Kalor tie-in I think unless 
I totally um, screwed that up. But I just noticed that this time that they were on their like little crusades or expeditions from Jakuruku from way back in the day. I think that's where those those boats that originally landed there were coming from. That's very interesting. I didn't put that together, but I, I think that makes sense to me. So, yeah, I, I, I like that area. But again, I, I want to see it fleshed out. I want to know how come there's Toblakai there, right, um, that have native blood and and all of that stuff. That that to me is really interesting. I kind of love that in Esselman's book, this is the second one now, that Toblakai are kind because of, obviously when you talk Toblakai, really, isn't there kind of this impression we're just talking about Carso? Yes, Do you know what I mean? 100%. So it's kind of, I kind of really like getting to it's like well no it's like just giant people it's like here this is the giants and we have some other giants around do you know what I mean and i kind of almost prefer reading them in these like you know these you know that aren't the toblakai but are in this greater tree it's i, I don't know I, I i kind of like how they're kind of their own thing in this series I do too, and I love how there was like um, other ones too, because I think the Stormwall, there was that Hagen guy or whatever at the end where he hooks up Shell or something. But yeah, but there's just like multiple different floating around, and it's like you don't know if they're like Toblakai, Taranthal, like those names are all so, you know, nebulous, it seems like to me, but, and they're all kind of have a, a common thread of like this overconfidence, which I guess if you're nine feet tall, and just super yoked you're gonna be um pretty confident but you know and but they're they're kind of um just all characters too you know what i mean so i'm i'm all no, yeah i agree can i just take this time that we're we're kind of getting to the storm wall of it all yeah. i just want to confess I've never liked Iron Bars, and I don't like it when he's in the books. <laughs> this is just, this is my dark Malazan secret. Oh my you know? gosh. We heard it here, folks. He's on the record. Yeah, I just, he's just not my cup of tea. I think Corlo's great. Love it. Love it when Corlo's around, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I, but, I like Corlo too. Poor Corlo, like really, uh, he's the one who no. ends up a little worse for wear at the end of this, but I'm not exact opposite. I love bars. Corlo's having a hard time in this book. I just, for me, the, and I have, other characters I feel assimilate to. Characters that are super strong and don't have a lot of failures and kind of win most fights they get in. Yeah. You know, and it's like, even if they win by just the bare of their teeth, you know, I don't know. It's just, I just, they're not really my cup of tea. I find them less compelling. And I just think that's kind of why I bounce off iron bars. So I just I, I've always felt that way. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think Iron Bars is hugely flawed because look at him. He totally became like an emotional basket case and totally shut down. And like, yeah, he's a badass and he was beating all those storm riders down. But, you know, he was pretty jacked up, too. And like, actually, arguably, even though I know Corlo is going to be the one to, you know, take it on the chin judgment wise, he, uh, you know, bars and his giving up and just totally, you know what I mean, not caring and just descending into madness basically could arguably be, you know, a lot of those, uh, the people of his um, blade could be laid at his feet in the same way that like Corlo not telling him soon enough and getting him snapped out and all that is is obviously going to be laid at his. I think he is more interesting in this book than the books I've read him before in, but I just, I think the fandom has a lot of bars love and I've never been on that page, but I, I get I get what you're saying and I, I did find it interesting just i mean the legend of bars is dope because like about even like his story of getting to the storm roll it was like he was just so savagely tearing apart all the assaults and whatever that they ended up just having to like burn the entire boat down and then waiting for like him to just be like swimming around you know just to even be able to capture him and like there's something endearing about like the kind of uh, bars is basically the deadpool of the malazan world <laughs> Uh, I feel that's more like Escarl Pust, maybe, maybe a Krupp, but I, I kind of get what you're saying in that way. Just in the indestructible way. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So before we move too far on, I, it, it, we should talk about uh, Heim, the yeah. Storm Riders, the Storm Wall. Um, of course, like, I don't know. I mean, in some ways, it's the thrust of the book, right? The finale is kind of about the Storm Wall breaking, about yeah, the Storm Riders. Like, I don't know. It, I... The book's scope is larger than that, but it's certainly the centerpiece of the book. So what did you think about learning more about the Storm Riders? We don't learn everything. And of course, this huge finale, there's Storm Guard. I think the Storm Guard are so cool. I think Heim's a really interesting character. Yes. 
I know he's like kind of a villain, right? I mean, yeah, I guess that's like the takeaway, right? Is that he was fight, he was a shill for the wrong side. Yeah, I don't know. He, he like he definitely is not the greatest dude, but um, I really enjoyed reading him. And every time we were like in the Stormwall with those people, I was having a blast. You know, I found their storyline pretty compelling. Me too. And say whatever you want about Heim and religious fanatics and stuff, but like that dude had integrity, right? And integrity is like having a code and sticking to it and living by it and he definitely did that having dignity is like being worthy of respect and so he was kind of shilling for the wrong uh, ultimate goal and that's tragic and unfortunate and actually drove him to chuck himself out the window uh, at, yeah. at the end when he realizes that that w- is what was going down I thought that was kind of that kind of pissed me off honestly just because yeah I didn't love that but to me it just feels like we needed to clean up the end of the story and it's like okay well I guess that's the end of do you mean I think it would have been more interesting for me to learn more about what that means to him actually totally I would have loved to see like the throw down the sword moment and be like, you know what? Hey, young bucks, I've like spent all this time and like a lot of the story's been about learning about how I am honorable and, you know, have integrity and all this stuff. But then like once I find out I've been being used and abused, then deuces, we're out of here. You know, let's let's go make amends or something like that. He was just like, nope, (laughs) I'm outie. And and so, you you know, which I mean, gosh, that had to have been a, a gut punch. And that is like, you know, the there's like an underpinning of commentary there, obviously. But yeah, you, you would have wanted to see him like more a uh, little bit spit in the eye or thumb in the eye or something, be a little more pissed off about it. Yeah, I just think, you know, I think I was praising the book for having a more rich religious setting here Mm -hmm. but i think in moments like that i feel a little let down i'm like okay i guess i mean i guess he this is it you know but i also understand i don't feel like he's the central character of the book and i don't think you know i I also recognize i feel like there's this self-contained aspect of the book but although that's not super true because the other characters just are left in kind of you know i guess ivanar is going off to build a monastery you know yeah He's totally. doing his own thing. And I got to tell you, knowing what I know about Malzian, I'm pretty sure I'll never read this character again. So I wish I could say read and find out. But um, but no. Yeah. And I, I can kind of excuse it because it's almost unnecessary. Like you didn't need Heim to fulfill that purpose, you know, because ultimately about like 45 minutes later and he saw the writing on the wall, too. And maybe that was like what made it so poignant was that he was just like, dude, this is done. And he looked around and was like, you know, what? like there, you know, this is is whether people come to grips with it or not. That's a wrap and ch- jump out the window because then the whole wall and the lady and all that. I mean, that all gets upended and the Storm Riders chunk her to bits or whatever. And, and that's that. So now that we see more of the Storm Riders and of course, it's like, oh, they were misunderstood. They were like kind of on this different side. They aren't these just sea devils, you know? What, what do you what do you what do you think of these storm riders now that we get a bit more of a picture of them? You know, I wish I had a better sense of them still, because like they are we, still elusive, right? Totally. Like, you know, we 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 see that they're not malicious and they had all those moments where, you know, they would like cruise up on their wave and then they would like see Shell or Iron Bar and be like, yeah, you're a badass. And they'd like salute and just bail out and stuff. And so there is like an honorable component. So they're not just like these bloodthirsty killers that that part is is clear but we still have no real sense of what the ultimate goal is and I still go back to the to the night and knife stuff that we talked about where that was like the third kind of undercurrent uh, you know behind the all the other stories was the kind of like them kind of fending off the the storm riders and there is like this I think they called it like a malevolent like chunk down there or something you know this like presence or whatever so it's like it's just I want to know what motivates them what the what's the origin story and and they're great characters like every Malazan character group <laughs> that there is but I just I really thirst for more. I'm really relieved totally someone random thought so you know of course we learned that Greymane has this whole history with the Stormriders and right. like about Stonewielder and, but I love at the beginning of the book when he's like oh yeah I have this ancient name and then we start the book and you know he's actually going by I was right about to call him Dejem Nebrolf. <laughs> origin samar yeah sorry yeah i got my wires crossed yeah and and he's origin samar for like 
a second or so right yeah and i was it's like so, so often Malzan characters have like seven names and i'm i'm glad the book quickly dispenses with calling him abortion and he's like okay i'm going back to gray main you yeah. can just call me that so qu- quick side note well and i think that was supposed to be a reveal and path to ascendancy too because like and it worked because i was totally spacing on on the name origin when i read it so yeah i do think well i haven't read that book so but this brings me, we kind of touched on the Stormwall, a, a fun setting. Let's get to, in my mind, I don't know how you feel, the single best plot line in this book. And to me, the one okay. that like I am easily the most excited about. And maybe this speaks to kind of my lack of investment in some of the characters in the book mm-hmm. um, and in Stormwall. But when we are with Kiska and Leoman yes. on their journey and through all these adventures, yeah. it is like just... I don't know, man, just it is hot fire. I'm just having a blast. It is like a kicking guitar solo, yeah. just loving the whole thing. There's this shred. First off, Kiska's quest is awesome. It's great. Yeah. And we're in these high magical places seeing all this fun stuff. Right. And we're in, you know, we're in these. It's just the setting's awesome. And yep. then furthermore, there's this element where Leon. First off, even when I read the book the first time, I knew it was Leoman. Do you know what I mean? Did you? Yeah, I yes. didn't. Uh, I, to me, it was, it, I'm, I often miss a bunch of stuff in these books, but it's very clear to me that it was Leoman, you know? Counselor Moonspawn knew it right off the bat, too. She just finished this as well. Yeah, it just, it just to me, it was blindingly obvious, which yeah. I know some people say about other stuff, and I always, like, chafe at, but You're to like, me, what? yeah. so playing this game about who Leoman is, what is his motivations, and just I, especially I'm reading Bone Hunters now for the main show. Mm-hmm. I love Leoman. I love him as a character and find him so interesting. And he exemplifies the type of character you like love to hate. You know what I mean? Totally. And she love to hate him, too. Yeah. And I just think they make a great adventuring pair and they're dynamic and the ending of the book with them is so fucking great. And that's like the thing that got me most jive to go forward. Do you mean yeah. essentially? Oh, yeah. Essentially, in my mind, I would just like if the next book was just about that, I would be just as stoked. I know it's not, but still. So are you as stoked on this Kiska stuff as I am? Oh, yeah, I'm here for Kiska. I was down for even in Night of Knives and stuff, because like I, I, you know, I think she's the adolescent that's pulled off best, honestly, even better than Kyle and, and Crocus for sure. But, you know, she has definitely come into our own and and she, you know, like I said, she's matured, but she's not totally uh mature and i love that we go to emerlon right i love that we're seeing uh demons and just like crazy shadow spawn and stuff i love the whole bit in the army of lights like encampment i especially love that she's there to like witness laura get his his nose broken and his sister kind of punk him in front of everybody and that was like really fun too but um i i love their relationship you know because i to me i i think that feels like a real relationship they're both flawed people right they're both kind of like cocky and overconfident making assumptions and misunderstanding each other and that's how they ultimately end up coming to like a common understanding so yeah no i'm i'm 100 percent all in for it i just want to touch on since you mentioned their appearance in this book like crippled god finale tisliosian Yes. Um, is my least favorite Tesliosian, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, it's fine. It's fine. I don't have that much of beef. But compared to where they are here or like their appearance in House of Chains, do you mean? This is the Tesliosian that I find so fun. And it's like I'm having a great time being around them. You know, and that's not only to say that, like, I think, you know, of course, in House of Chains, they're pure kind of purely played for laughs, you know. Right. But here I just still find them interesting. And I almost think I'm maybe it's just because they're withheld and I'm being interested in what I don't know. But sometimes I feel I'm more interested in the Leosian than the Andy or the Edar. I just think they're so well, A, they're patron. You know, their patron god or whatever, you know, a circ, I think, is it it's all stems from that. And, you know, I, I have a lot of uh, beef there, but I just think it's so funny that they're just so all, you know, direct or literal or whatever. It's like, hey, there's this big world. It's like, hey, what we do is we mass mad troops and we just go take it on. And some of us get our noses busted and whatever, but that's what it is. And so they're just so uh, blunt, I guess, is their approach. And that's kind of what makes it cool they're just all rough edges yeah i think it's interesting that there's a combination of like kind of 
condescending patronism like mm-hmm. we're better than you and also like kind of being idiots and just blunt and like getting their nose hit as you said i mean totally i wish brother Gerud would have been back from return of the crimson guard to get totally you know smacked around by skinner again because like that's like you know brother Gerud's legacy of the tisliosin is to get clowned i think yes that's like his main thing and that's why Gerud's one of the best characters um, i love brother Gerud. yeah you mentioned Skinner single best line of the book at the end of the book when he gets away it's like Skinner with like six ends and it's like Skinner oh yeah 100% dude if you if you yell out Skinner like that you that's how you find out if people have read the ice books or not you 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 read that line and I instantly it's just first off it, it's it's kind of stupid right because it's like this shouldn't be as effective as it is yeah. you know but like I see all those ends and it's there and I'm like it just puts me right there and it's drawing upon that like you know it's almost Wrath of Khan do you know what I mean totally and we're just you know he got away Skinner totally you know? and, and if you're not picturing the principal Skinner from the Simpsons when he does that then you're doing it wrong there is a bit of Simpsons energy you know I was almost hesitant to bring it up, but it's inevitable. Yeah, 100%. No, I love that line. And, and you know, it was like that was the big supposed climax. And then he just like steps back at the last minute. And then it's like, shoot. And then it's like, well, we'll maybe see what happens with that next season. Maybe that's the that's the kind of uh, who wants to be a millionaire cliffhanger or whatever when they go to commercial break. Then they're like, we'll find out after the break. No, it is. Yeah. All right. So before we talk about kind of bigger picture stuff about these Esselman books, I just want to quick read some comments we got about people's impressions of Rian Stonewitter. Here's uh, one from the P. I don't have a question. Just want to say Stonewitter is easily my favorite of the Esselman books. He lets us see in detail so much of what has been teased by Erickson in Book of the Fallen. Stratum, Coral, Fist, Storm Riders, Gray Manor, Greymane, Ipshank, and Manask. Love him. It also ties in so well with the meta narrative of Steve's books with the pieces of the lady being fragments of the crippled god and how it's the driving force for the storm riders which up until this book i've found to be out of place and pointless serving only as a device to isolate coral from the central malazan empire absolutely no i i love that take on it and actually i was like that's like sparking all these thoughts and i was like started daydreaming here and that because i think like maybe the the crippled god is the main motivation for the storm riders throughout the stuff but uh no i i agree on the the esselmont stuff and we were even talking talking about it in the discord it's just that he has a really fun reading style and um, you know, it, uh, for me, I just uh, I enjoyed it. And I think the the Storm Riders piece was, you know, one piece of it. But, you know, I, I enjoyed it all. Someone called calls it the best sea landing since D-Day. Boom, boom. Wow. I love it. Yeah, I don't know. For me, I, I thought the the bog down over the, the riverbank was, you know, oh, that was frustrating. But uh, no, I, I, I get the feels for the invasion. That was just it had very um, I wish I knew the, the name of the song, but the apocalypse now kind of like bombing song kind of vibe to it. Ride of the Valkyries. There we go. Here's a comment from Cannibal Crusader. I enjoyed it quite a bit as I really liked seeing more of the world we hadn't visited before. Mm-hmm. Coral and Storwall come up enough in the series that I was very intrigued to see more of this place. It was fun enough to see the Storm Riders and the Moranth, as well as the continuation of some of the Crimson Guard rescuing Iron Bars and others in the wall. We didn't even talk about the Moranth. Like, such right. a, yeah. they're, they're like in this book full of bore. Anyway, I also really liked some of the horror elements, which I think Ice is always great at writing. Surrounding the Blessed Lady and the Mage Usu. The sooner mm-hmm. Usu and UL find out that Greymane is coming back from their prisoner is very creepy, as are the scenes where Usu grabs a hold of the prisoner's heart to use his magic and commune with the lady. I wasn't a huge fan of Kyle in Return of the Crimson Guard, and he was better here, but he also feels like a completely different character. Maybe that's just due to his growth after the events of this book, but it felt out of place to me. I enjoyed Bakun and Ipshanka's characters, and Manask provided some good humor. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what he said there. You know. Yeah, I like Manask. I think that he does a lot of good humor, which is the other part that, that I didn't mention, but you know, I, I like that part. That's the other reason why I like the squad stuff, because I just like the like ribbing of each other constantly. But, uh, you know, what the, the other thing about the storm wall and thinking about, you know, the main series and the tie ins and all that is it reminds me a lot of like the ferret and sort side. Right. Like, can you imagine her sure, being the yeah. kind of religious fanatic, you know, like that would basically be reporting into Quint like that was her that was her jam. Right. Right. Before uh, when we meet her. 
it's really interesting. I'm just re- yeah, you know, I mentioned Star and Bone Hunters now, and it's like I'm re I just read the Ferret and Sword introduction. Of course, it's interesting to see her story start, and it's interesting to see it read it like I it's almost like I came with her from Stormwall. Yeah, because you, know you just left Coral. Yeah. Like legitimately, I like just put down the book Coral, and even on the show, they were like, They're from this Stormwall place. And I'm like, Yeah, there's yep. a whole book about it, guys. Totally. <laughs> Which is kind of weird, right? Because if you read her character, like she seems like, I mean, you know, she is definitely a tight ass. There's no doubt about it. You know what I mean? And that that part definitely shines through. But just like being a the the true believer side of it, you know, and maybe she she learned about that. But I yeah, it's fun to think about. Here's a hot, hot praise. Favorite ice book. This is from Falso Movimental. Wow. Favorite ice book and one of my top 10 Malazan books in general, Coral on the Wall, make up for incredibly atmospheric and unique setting. The book mm-hmm. has a wide range of great characters and is tightly plotted, but it still deals with some serious themes and is an introspective writing style. One of my favorite endings of the series as well. This could potentially be like a, a video or like a movie or whatever, like a visual uh, adaptation starting point, right? Because you could like start here and then you could like back off and go back in time to Book of the Fallen and like flesh out and have it like be a tangential but it could also be like a standalone thing if it totally sucks so yeah um yeah i don't i don't know if this would really be a standalone way but i do i i don't know i'm listen i'm glad the guy loves it you know I, i'm i'm only here to support you know <laughs> you know i'm not like you know who am We're i'm not trying to in here pete it's okay um here's one i'm rereading the ice this is from i am sf i am rereading the ice books now and I've liked them all better the second time through. Mm-hmm. I agree this book is fine. I appreciate getting to see more of the world and more cultures we haven't seen elsewhere. I like where it ends up, but it starts rough. The editing is still a bit of a mess in this book, and there's a and there's character stuff that just doesn't feel right. Kyle and Graeming seem to completely flip roles, going from green to competent and from competence to being a real sad sack. I was sad to see Jumpy not make the jump to this book, but yes. Seth, was a, Seth was a worthwhile character to follow, yep. at least compared to Benden and Orb Scepter Throne. Overall, it's better than Return of the Crimson Guard, but definitely below the next two books. I miss Jumpy. I liked Jumpy. After all the like trash talking and he kind of starts as this not totally reprehensible, but just like, come on, bro. You know, and then, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I ended up liking him and he shows some leadership and he steps up with those new recruits in the squad. I would have loved to see Jumpy be like kind of the, um, you know, in the same way that if Kyle can step up and become like the adjutant to the whole entire division, then like Jumpy could have at least been like the head of you know the squad or something in Seuss division but that would have been that would have been super cool yeah i know what you mean it's tough because i think esselmont's just trying to do something different but yeah. i do wish more characters directly followed from return of the crimson guard jumpy but- had that reluctant hero thing too because he was like dude you know and then he ended up having to like mentor these kids and stuff he could have fit in there yeah i mean listen i think it's just they're doing something different. I mean, some characters come over. It's not entirely fresh slate, but I'm just greedy. You know, I want to see everybody cross over. Yeah. All right. Here's my last comment and then we'll talk big picture. This one's from Flipmeister. Stonewielder is in my top three of the Esselmont books with Orb Scepter Throne and Deadhouse Landing. It's been a while since I read it, but I think it really is Ice at his best. Kind of tight and focused story. Greymane is the main character, horror elements, and the Crimson Guard scheming. He's best when he gets to write about things that are related to the actual empire, but is still his own thing. Whenever him and Erickson overlap, the difference in style and in quality becomes too jarring for me. For the ice books, which I don't like, Blood and Bone and Assail has the first problem, and Return of the Crimson Guard and Kellenvad's Reach has the second. Stonewilder feels like a natural inclusion in the Malaz universe. Finally gives some well-executed world-building on the famed Coral and Stormwell, is a nice continuation of Malakrel's tenure as Emperor, and providing a satisfying collusion to the gray main story. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree with... I, don't, I mean, obviously, he's speaking in a broader way about some stuff I haven't read. Sure. But... um. No, yeah. I, I, I like the take on it. You know, I think that it is a, a kind of... Uh, in- it it's part of the whole, the broader universe, you know, like you said, it has the tie the tie in the, with with characters, places, stuff that we've heard about. But I also like that it's kind of like again, I I go back to what I said at the very beginning, where it was, it was like the first time I realized that it wasn't just a companion series because it's you know these are uh, tangential references 
that were made, but they don't have a ton of consequence to the subsequent books. If you put this in publication order or reading order or whatever, and did this after Dust of Dreams, um, you know, and and none of the characters cross over that much in a major consequential way. And so it is definitely fleshing out more of the map, more of the lore and all of that stuff. But I, I thought this was the first um, one. And actually, especially after watching the AP Canavan interview where he talk to Esselman about the how they kind of divvied up the characters and stuff like that. Like this really did feel like uh, Esselman writing about his characters that he gamed and loved and cared about that they kind of decided to split at the very beginning. And for that, that I loved it. Yeah, I agree. I feel I mentioned it earlier. I don't think this is the tie in is loose. Mm. And if you're coming for the tie in, you're going to be a little let down. Maybe. Right. You know. But let's talk about it in its big scheme. So I would love to hear your thoughts. But for me, I think, first off, I do think, although I like this book less than Return of the Crimson Guard, I do think it's, I think Esselmont only improves as a writer. I think it's, I think it's a better, just put together in better ways in, mm-hmm. in almost every aspect. Yeah. And it, we're still in this first three that I have read before. Yeah. So I'm really keen to get into Orb Scepter Throne. I was telling you before we started recording yeah. that it's been years before I've read like a fresh Malazan book. So it's something new, a whole new world. And uh, that's going to be really interesting for me. But revisiting this book, as I said, was definitely really worth it. I think it was, I was glad to come back to it kind of knowing what I was going to get and knowing that I wasn't here for an expansion of the lore, mm-hmm. like an expansion of the main series. So, yeah, I, I had a good time. I think it's probably, I, I probably like the other two. We've read more, but um, yeah, I, yeah, so, so, solid book. Wouldn't, you know, I, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah, I I don't feel super strong about it. What do you think? Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I I love this book. I love them all. You know what I mean? You're not going to ever find me talk bad about any of them. I I really enjoy everything. This isn't my favorite of um, the ice books. I think that for me, the one that we're getting into and I joke that Stonewielder could be an entry point, but I think like Orb Scepter Throne could potentially be a standalone and just be an epic movie. So I'm so excited to, to talk to you about that. And I think that that one and for me, the blood and bone, there's a lot of time to the main series on a philosophical level that I think are going to be really fun to talk about. So for me, I think that my, you know, my top four would be Return of the Crimson Guard, probably like a, you know, mid tier. But then I I really like Orb, Scepter, Throne, Blood and Bone, Assail. And then I have like kind of a Stone Wielder and, and Return of the Crimson Guard together and then Night of Knives. So uh, it's going to be fun from here on out, man. You feel like you feel like it's only ramping up. I think it's only going to get better and better from here and a lot of a lot of action, a lot of philosophy, a lot of the lasers and fireballs and feels and all the stuff that we we go to Malazan for. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And I feel like, yeah, it's kind of interesting to read these Esselmont books the way we're doing it. I, I think it's turning out all right. I think it's uh, I don't know. It's just I live in this weird world now where maybe you feel this way. I think about these books i read about mm-hmm. the books it's just they, they take up a lot more space than i guess i thought they would you know and now we're we're deep you know i'm deep into the show and now it's even more now there's this whole esselmont piece to it it's it's pretty interesting to have this kind of side series going with you yeah no i'm i'm having a lot of fun doing it and it's a much bigger you know piece of my life than i ever thought it was gonna be and it's a like crazy time to to be alive because it's you know it's a lot of cool stuff that we take back to our real lives and there's you know like the that's why i love it there's all the layers it's like the onion right on the surface it's the the lasers and the fireballs and the iron bar and the, all that stuff. And then you get the religion and the all that. Uh, who's who's really the bad guy? So, uh, yeah, no, I'm appreciating it, man. Yeah. So I'm really just looking forward to going back to Dudorujistan and Orceptor Throne and um, kind of getting away and getting into something new, you know? Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. We'll go back to Genabacus and we'll uh, we'll kick around our old stomping grounds. And uh, there's lots of lore and action and backstory. So I think you're going to love it. I can't wait to hear what you think. All right, everyone, that's going to do it for us here. We're going to be talking. 
about Warp Scepter Throne in about two months or so. That should be about the schedule we're looking for. Yep. And we look forward to talking to you then. Uh, as always, thanks to Humble Goat, who made this uh, wonderful art we have. Links to her uh, bio and her coffee page are in our description. Let us know what you think of the show. 10 Very Big Folks on Twitter and Gmail. And absolutely... Go to Iskar Jarek's YouTube page. He's just cranking out the hits. I mean, listen. <laughs> Thank you, Peter. The thing is this. I just, sometimes I forget to plug this stuff because I just kind of feel like if you're listening to this episode and you're at the end, I'm pretty sure you know what's going Like, I don't know. You're in the fandom. You know yeah. what's going on. Do you know what I mean? We're, yeah, so. you're, you're always welcome. All right. Uh, anything else? I think we covered all the bases. No, I think we nailed it. I, I had so much fun, man. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me back. Awesome. Look forward to talking to you again. See ya. See ya. Hello, everybody. AJ here, producer and editor of 10 Very Big Books. Thank you so much for listening to the third episode of Discussions of the Malazan Empire. Uh, special shout out as well to Iskar Jarek for taking this journey with Peter. It's always great to have him on the show, and we are really loving doing this series with him. Uh, you can check him out on YouTube, youtube.com slash Jarek. He also has a Discord server, subreddit, Facebook page, Patreon, and merch store, all of which will be linked in the show notes. If you'd like to join 10 Very Big Books Discord, you can head on over to bit.ly slash VBB Discord. That's capital V, capital B, capital B, capital D, Discord. That link will also be in the show notes, along with the link to our Patreon, patreon.com slash 10verybigbooks, if you'd like to support the show there. Uh, this series and all of our bonus content is made possible by our wonderful patrons, so thank you all so, so much for allowing us to do more and continue to grow the show. Of course, I want to thank my good friend Bokeh for allowing us to use his song Winter off of his album Demos and Singles 2016-2020. You can follow him on Twitter at Brendan Bigley and check out his podcast that I also produce over on intothecast.online. Line. And finally, a huge, gigantic thanks to my favorite D&D father, Scout Wilkinson, for making our absolutely incredible episode art. You can check out more of her work on Twitter at HumbleGoat and on her coffee page, ko-fi.com slash HumbleGoat. All of those links, of course, will be in the show notes. And Pete and Iskar will be back in a couple of months with the next discussions of the Malazan Empire, where they'll be talking about Orb, Scepter, Throne by Ian Cameron Esselmont. I'll talk to you then. And thank you so much for listening. <laughs>